Mark 1, verses 1 through 20. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you're here with us, whether you're here in our West service or over in our East service or watching online. Thanks for spending some time with us this weekend. It has been, I don't know if you're aware of this, it's been an incredible weekend here at the church. I'm so thankful to everyone who participated uh, in the Friday night father-daughter dance. I was here with my daughter Sophie. It was awesome. I'm a little less thankful for those of you that are circulating videos of me dancing. Uh, I heard the Galentine's event, which was yesterday, was awesome. I hope uh, you ladies, I hope you, you didn't miss that. I've heard great stories about it. Even now, our student ministry is coming back from a weekend retreat with our high school students. It's been an incredible weekend. And I'm, I'm so grateful to be at a church where so many talented staff and volunteers are pouring into the lives of people like my children, like my wife, like me, to help us grow in our faith, helping others come to know Jesus. What an incredible place this is. And I hope you're participating. I hope you're not missing out on a chance to be part of the life of this church beyond Sunday. And in fact, I want to put something on your radar. uh, And that is that on March 4th, uh, we're hosting our second annual Parents Summit. 
This is an event I really want to encourage you to register for. It's a, we did it last year. It was great. It's a time of coming together and, and laughing together and crying together about the joys and difficulties of parenting. There'll be teaching from God's word about parenting. Uh, you really don't want to miss it. And by the way, this year, we've added some material that focuses on grandparenting. So whether you're here as a parent or a grandparent, if you want to be encouraged and come to understand a little more about what God has in store for you, what he's calling you to, again, I want you to register for this event. You can find it on the information behind me uh, online or stop by the Next Steps area and just say, hey, Zach was talking about that parenting thing. How do I get registered for that? I hope to see you, to see you there. I'm also excited because this weekend is when we're launching our spring sermon series. Just a reminder, the way the preaching calendar works here is every spring we spend 10 weeks in a gospel. And this year we're going to spend 10 weeks going through the gospel of Mark. We're going to be talking about Jesus as the one true king. That's because that is the focus of the gospel of Mark. In fact, if you have a Bible, can I ask you to take it out and open it up to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 20 verses, which were read so beautifully for us just a second ago. By the way, it's more than okay to open your phone or your tablet to use an app. I recommend the ESV Bible app. If you don't have one, download it. That's the same translation I will be using. If you're online, you can just throw it in your web browser, Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. If you're here in the West service or over in the East service, you can grab one of these Bibles, the same Bible I'm using, and you'll find today's reading on page 785. So if you want to open that. By the way, if you're not familiar with the Bible, first of all, thanks for coming. It had to be intimidating for you. I'm so glad that you're here. Great job. But when you're trying to find your way around the Bible, in the very beginning is a table of contents, just like a textbook in school. So if we tell you to turn somewhere and you think, I have no idea where that is, all you got to do is nonchalantly look at the table of contents and everyone will marvel at the way you find things in the Bible, okay? S secret for you. All right, to so the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, I have three points I want to use to guide our time together, all right? Three simple points, and they go like this. I want to talk about clarity call and credentials. Clarity, call, and credentials. By the way, there's a lot of alliteration in this sermon, and I just want you to know that that's what they teach you in seminary. So here I am. All right, let's start with, first of all, clarity. When you think of Jesus, I wonder what you think. There has been a lot written about him. There are podcasts about him, movies about him, television shows, articles, books, conversations, paintings, stained glass windows. There's a lot of information out there about Jesus. What I've noticed is that when our culture depicts Jesus, they tend to focus their depiction on a sliver of who he is. And that's okay. I mean, after all, the Gospel of John says that if you tried to write down everything that is true about Jesus, there aren't enough books in the world to contain it. So the idea that any one piece of art could exhaust him is nonsensical. So instead, what, what artists tend to do is focus on a part of Jesus they like and focus their attention there. So if you were to watch The Passion, for example, that movie from so long ago, feels like so long ago, you would see Jesus as a willing sufferer, right? A, a willing, obedient sufferer following the plan of God. And, and he was that. He was that. 
If you watch The Chosen, a television show that's gotten so popular, they're showing episodes of it at the movie theater, then you would get a version of Jesus, a sliver of Jesus that is kind and merciful and gentle. I've heard stories of pastor friends of mine who have had the Jesus from The Chosen at their church, and they'll say the minute he walks in, people just start weeping. And if you haven't seen the show, you need to see it to understand. He's so merciful and kind in the show. That's the sliver of Jesus they are accentuating. There have also been these commercials on TV. Have you seen them? The He Gets Us, right? And I'm reserving judgment because I'm waiting for any second a commercial to come out where I'm like, mm, I don't think so. He might get us, but you don't get him. But I don't know. I don't know. So don't take this as an endorsement. I'm just saying it's out there. And what they focus on is the countercultural radical teaching of Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus was a willing sufferer. Jesus is merciful and kind. Jesus is a radical teacher. All those slivers are true, but they're not all that he is. And one sliver I've just noticed that we don't tend to emphasize is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And here in the Gospel of Mark, week after week, over the next 10 weeks, we're going to see this. But even in chapter 1, you see with absolute clarity that this is what Jesus believed about himself. I don't mean that the Christian church has decided to make Jesus king, that we've built a religious apparatus around Jesus and we prop him up as some kind of leader, as though Jesus would say, no, I just want to be merciful. I just want to suffer. I just want to be radical. I, I really don't. I don't want to be king. I don't need to be king. No, no, no. I mean that any honest reading of the Gospels will put before you a Jesus who is absolutely certain about the role he is meant to play, and that is the role of God's promised king. You can see that here in Mark chapter 1. Jesus emerges on the scene and he begins to teach for the first time anywhere publicly. And in verse 15, you'll find his message. Here's what it is. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. We'll look at the second part in just a minute. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, what Jesus is saying is the moment everyone has been waiting for is here. And what he's saying is the moment everyone's been waiting for is here because I am here. When he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying the kingdom of God is here because I, Jesus, the king, am here. You're going to see that, by the way, over and over in this, just in these 20 verses. I mean, he shows up to a couple of guys and says, what do you do for a living? Fishermen, not anymore. We're going to look at that in a minute. Jesus speaks with clarity as to who he is and the role he plays. Jesus Christ is king. Merciful? Yes. Sufferer? Yes. Radical? Yes. Generous? Yes. Just? Yes. Kind? Yes. But king? Yes. So many slivers, so many dimensions, but none of them do anything to erase or eradicate the clarity around his own self-understanding that he is the king that God has promised. He is the king of God bringing in 
the kingdom. Now, I say that we don't tend to focus on that as a culture because I can't think of anything we like less than the idea of a king. But I need you to understand something. We've been praying for a long time that the gospel of Mark would shape our church and change your life. But the key to that, the key to that, whether as we think as a group or as individuals, will be your openness to the idea that you need a king. Let me give you an example. Do you know how many videos there are on YouTube about how to unclog a shower drain? No? Well, I do. And that's because this week I had a clogged shower drain. As I've told you many times, I don't know anything about how to fix anything. They taught me alliteration. They did not teach me plumbing, okay? So all I know is anytime I try to fix something on my own, it just gets more expensive. And then I have to call one of you and you help me, but also condescend to me at the same time. What were you doing, Pastor Zach? You should have called me earlier, right? So I either call you or I turn to YouTube. And so I can confidently tell you there are over 30,000 videos on how to unclog a shower drain. And I'm also happy to tell you I only needed one. Okay, I only needed one. The point is the difference between you and I is that I reached a conclusion about myself. I have encountered a problem I cannot solve. It will only get worse if I try. I need to admit my limitations and go looking for someone who can help. I cannot think of a better summary of my own incompetence or of the Gospel of Mark. Because the people who will hear the message of this book are the ones who say, I have come to realize that I need someone else to be an authority of my life. And Jesus is claiming to be that guy. Which means, please hear my heart on this, you can't be neutral about him. You can't have a category for like, well, I like Jesus. I just don't take that kingship stuff seriously. That's who he's saying that he is. So you crown him or you reject him. And that's the whole message of the gospel of Mark. It will contain people who do both. Let me show you in a different way. Let, let me go to my second point, which is the call. One of the ways you see Jesus' understanding of himself as king is that he radically calls us to obey him. Look at the second half of his message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says this, repent, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Now, repentance is a biblical word that means acknowledge the wrongness of what you're currently doing. And if repentance is acknowledging the wrongness of something, belief is acknowledging the rightness of something. So the message of Jesus is acknowledge the wrongness of this and acknowledge the rightness of that. Now, what is he talking about? Well, the rest of the gospel makes clear to us that what Jesus has in mind is that the number one problem with our world on a macro level geopolitically, economically, culturally, and a micro level, your family and mine, your life and mine, is that we view ourselves as in charge. 
I was reading Paul David Tripp this week, and he said it this way. He said, repentance is the act of realizing the absurdity of self-rule. I can't put it better than that, so I just quoted him. It's acknowledging the absurdity of self-rule. That is it any wonder that we live in a culture that tells us that we define ourselves, that we are what we say we are, we wear the labels we want to wear, we determine for ourselves our identity, our morality, and our future. Is it any wonder in a culture that's telling us that, that we are more broken and more devastated than we've ever been? And I know how tempting it is to say, well, it's them, it's those people, it's what they're doing. But while that might work in a geopolitical sense, I don't think anyone here's job title is world supreme ruler, but on a micro level, they are not responsible for your marriage or for mine. For when I blow up at my teenager, for the way I drive, for the way I manage my money, for my pride, I'm responsible for those things, and you're responsible for yours. And what the Bible will radically challenge us to understand is that we have no other option. If we're honest, if we have intellectual integrity, there's no other option than to say, my life is what it is because I have trusted my own authority. And Jesus is saying, you have to repent of that. You have to recognize the absurdity of self-rule. And then he says, but it's not just accepting the wrongness of self-rule, but the rightness of Jesus as king. His message is, what you do not know, I know. What you cannot do, I can do. What you cannot change, I can change. That's his message. Repent of self-rule and embrace my rule. By the way, by the way, you might think that's a little extreme, but that's why Mark includes the story of him calling the disciples. He shows up to guys who are working at the family business and he says, not anymore. Follow me. His call on their lives is absolute. What would it look like for one of them, for James to say, okay, Jesus, but just so we're clear, I don't work on Tuesdays. Okay, Jesus, but this is my girlfriend. She gets to come too. Okay, Jesus, but let me just get things in order so that I make sure that even though I'm not working, I'm still reaping financial benefits. Let me hire some people. Let me set up an organizational chart. Come back in a month. You see, to say anything like that would be a complete rejection of Jesus. I'm going to say that again because that's going to hit really hard for us in a second. To qualify in, in any way, if the disciples, those soon-to-be disciples, would have said, well, Jesus, hold on a second. Can't we still do this? Can't we stick around? Can't we bring these people? Can't we? To seek to modify the call of Jesus at all would have been to reject him. So I need you to hear me say this. The call of Jesus' authority is absolute in its scope. To be a Christian is to desire, is to desire the reign of Jesus, not R-A-I-N, but R-E-I-G-N. Stumbled, almost stumbled there. 
the reign of Jesus on every area of our lives. It is to invite the kingship of Jesus into every authority, without, with every arena, without qualification, without justification. To modify it all is to reject. And I say that because I meet so many people who will call themselves Christians because of some confession or some experience they've had or because they show up on Sundays or because, and the more I get to know them, the more I'm worried for them because it seems to me that their understanding of Jesus is that he will take whatever sliver of authority they give him. Friends, hear me on this. And I say this with all the love I have in my heart because I, don't, I want you to hear it now and not one day before the judgment seat of God. Jesus is king whether you acknowledge it or not. You don't make him king. He is king. Your only choice and my only choice is to reject, to rebel, or to surrender. When he comes to the disciples and he says, leave the business, Follow me. There's no qualification. There's no justification. They simply go. They simply go. I, I, I've told you this story a million times, and if, I, if I'm pastoring here for a long time, which I hope to do, you're going to hear it a lot more. But I was, this came, became so concrete for me once when I was sitting at a coffee shop with a girl that had just come to Christ at a church I was working at. She had become a Christian on Wednesday, and on Friday I was meeting her for coffee just to make sure she understood everything. Someone else had led her to Christ. I was making sure just as a pastor that she was clear, answering questions. We were together for like an hour and a half, and it was awesome. She was asking great questions, great conversation, very intelligent young woman. And finally, at the end, just to make small talk, I said, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And you should know that everyone I ever meet, all they do is pray and read the Bible. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how you guys fit time in for anything. But she was a new enough Christian, she didn't know to lie to the pastor. So she said, well, there's a big party on campus and I'm going to go tonight. There's a guy there that I'm really interested in. I'm hoping we'll hook up. And no one's ever that honest with me. I felt really seen, <laughs> you know? And if you're here and you're like, what does hook up mean? Ask the young person in your family. <laughs> Try to keep it PG, okay? And in that moment, my heart was broken because I realized if I told her what Jesus would say about that, she might be a Christian for like two days. So I said to her, hey, would you mind if I told you what Jesus said about that? And she said, sure. So for the next half an hour, I unfolded for her a biblical understanding of intimacy. And at the end of that conversation, I said to her, what do you think? And I expected her to throw the table over, for her to laugh and be like, I, I, I know why you guys didn't tell me this. Well, she looked at me and she said, well, I guess I have to make other plans for the weekend. And I said, just like that? And she said, she said so brilliantly, she said, Zach, I have decided that Jesus is my king. Whatever he says is best is what's actually best. That's what it means to be a Christian. But if you're here and you're a Christian and you say, yeah, yeah, I know that, then I want you to think about it this way. Jesus' authority isn't just over everything, it's over that thing. Do you know what I mean? Not just everything, but that thing. That thing you would rather not talk about. That area of your life, I would rather, or my life, I would rather not confess. That area, that area that the Holy Spirit's putting on your mind right now. 
His authority is over that too. The call of Jesus is come follow me. No qualifications, no justifications, no fine print, no way out of it. Come follow me. Is that where you are with Jesus? Is that what you mean when you call yourself a Christian? If you're here and you're not a Christian, that person who doesn't know how to find their way around the Bible, watching online, I'm so glad that you're here. And I recognize I'm making it sound pretty not great to be a Christian. Hang in there. I'm going to make it better in a minute. But I want, we, we, here at this church, we never want to lower the bar enough for you to embrace it, but not actually get it. I want you to wrestle with this idea that your chief problem, my chief problem, is that I keep listening to myself. And that the message of Jesus is repent of the absurdity of self-rule. You are not, I am not what I label myself. I do not define my identity. I do not have the answers. I do not know a path forward. And if you look behind me, the evidence is there in every area of my life. To be a Christian is to abdicate my own authority in pursuit of the authority of Jesus, which begs the question, why would you give authority to Jesus? Well, that's my third point. What are his credentials? Why would we give authority to Jesus? Why would we take it from ourselves and give it to him? I just want you to understand, you'll never get the gospel of Mark until you're able to say, well, I'm pretty clear on the why I would take authority from me part. But why would I give it to Jesus? Three reasons. Here they are. God, glory, and gospel. I warned you. God, glory, and gospel. Let me start with with God. I want you to see that Jesus Christ enjoyed a special relationship with God. He's not just another prophet, another teacher. Look at what happens in the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. He's going to start with John the Baptist. He has to because in his day, John the Baptist was a rock star. There, were no, there wasn't Netflix or social media. You actually had to interact with people for entertainment. I know, it sounds terrifying. And John the Baptist could gather a crowd. He was a crazy guy that wore camel's hair and ate locusts dipped in honey, had a big bushy beard, preached all kinds of crazy things, right? He, he was the show in town. He was the celebrity preacher of his day. But Mark makes sure that we know that as important as John was, and he was so important that Isaiah, hundreds of years earlier, had actually prophesied about John the Baptist, saying there's a voice in the wilderness crying out. I mean, John is pretty important that he pales in comparison to Jesus. Look at the very last thing Isaiah says about John the Baptist. He says, the voice of one, this is verse 3, crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. See, John the Baptist was a road preparer. He was a hype man, an opening act. By the way, he knew that. Look at what he says in verse 7. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John is saying, listen, as big as I've gotten, as public as my ministry is, the guy coming after me is so much greater than me. He's the one Isaiah was really talking about because Jesus is the one that God wrote a book about. 
the entire Bible is pointing us either forwards or at present or backwards to Jesus. By the way, God himself validates Jesus. Look what happens when Jesus gets baptized. Verse 10, and when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Can you imagine how much you'd be listening to me right now if that's how the sermon had started? That was Jesus. But it isn't just that Jesus enjoyed a special relationship with God. He was, in fact, himself. He is, in fact, himself God. Look at what John says. Verse 8. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I came to you with ritualistic, religious Cleansing, John says, he will come to you with the spirit and fire of God. I can change your external appearance, John says. He will change you at your very core. Jesus is God. Here's the second thing, his glory. Mark only has 20 verses this week to put before us the glory of Jesus. How would you imagine he would do that? A miracle, right? That's how I would do it. I mean, he heals a blind man, a lame man, turns water into wine, does something awesome, something epic. But that's not the glory that Mark shows us here. The glory he shows us is the sinlessness of Jesus. Look at the story he says. Then Jesus, verse 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And yet we know, Matthew 4 and other places, that Jesus comes out of that temptation sinless. And all week I was thinking, Mark, if you're trying to convince me that I should let Jesus be king, why would you give me sinlessness and not a miracle? And this is what came came to me, and I bet you'll resonate with it. In the last 10 years, how devastating has it been watching Christian leader after Christian leader fall? Can we just acknowledge that? Men especially. How many men have proven to just be philanderers, to cheat on their wife with with no morality, to not believe in anything that they said, apparently, to be selfish, to be greedy, to be egotistical, to cover up abuse. How many men have done that? And yet, here's the thing. How many of us have been devastated by that? I can't tell you how many times I've sat in my office, looked at my bookshelf, and thought, should I throw that book away or should I keep it? How many of us have wondered if I came to faith through the teaching and preaching and writing of that person and they have proven to be a fraud, what does that mean about my faith? Maybe you're here, you're not a Christian, you're watching and you're going, exactly, that's why I'm not a Christian. I guess on the one hand, we shouldn't be surprised by that. I mean, every biblical hero seems to fall. My son Deacon, 14, has been reading through the Bible. Every day I pick him up from school, he says, what's up with Abraham? But you see, that's why the glory Mark shows us is the sinlessness of Jesus. Because Jesus will never fail you. His integrity is absolute. The last time Satan personally tempted someone, it took 40 seconds. Adam and Eve. 
For 40 days, he couldn't get to Jesus. You see, Christianity was never meant to be built on the backs of Christian celebrities. That's oxymoronic anyways. And if we build evangelicalism around our favorite pastors and writers and teachers, then we are the problem. Christianity is built on the integrity of Jesus Christ, which is absolute. And then here's the third thing, gospel. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Here's what he's saying. Acknowledge the absurdity of self-rule and turn instead to to, to the absolute wonder of my rule. What makes it so wonderful? Simply this, that the very man who said that is the man who will go to the cross on our behalf. The man who had absolute integrity will become the embodiment of my absolute non-integrity. And God will be pleased to pour out his anger and judgment and wrath for my rebellion and yours onto Jesus. Jesus will be willing to take the Father's anger on my behalf to be crushed underneath it so that when he dies, there's not one drop of anger left. And then three days later, when he raises from the dead and ascends, goes on later to ascend into heaven and to sit at the right hand of God, he will be pleased as king of God's kingdom to say to the Father, because of me, you can welcome Zach as a citizen and not a rebel. You see, Jesus does for me what I cannot do for myself. Jesus undoes what I has, have done for myself. Jesus Christ and the wonder of his love and his mercy and his grace and his suffering and his death and his resurrection is my hope. And when you come to see that, what you'll come to see is that Jesus' message of repenting Accepting the absurdity of self-rule in favor of embracing him as king is the most logical thing that's ever been asked of you. Because I am that broken. And he, he is that wonderful. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the gift of a king Why I acknowledge and confess, I don't always view it as a gift. It can feel like an invasion. And I guess it is, but a wonderful one. You are not content to leave us in our rebellion and in our sin and in our brokenness. You have sent a king to make it right. My prayer is, whether today or over the next 10 weeks, that we as a church, for the first time or yet again, would embrace the authority of Jesus. That we would agree with the old hymn, wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so, wherever he leads, I'll go. God, make that true of each one of us in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.